everybody. Welcome to the Mercy Talk podcast from Mercy Multiplied, where we are passionate about empowering you with biblical principles for growing in mental, emotional, and spiritual health and equipping you to share those principles with others. I'm Melanie Wise, and joining me on this episode is the wonderful Dr. Brooke Keels. And we are in a series here on Mercy Talk about the vital role that relationships and community play in our mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual health. And we talked over the past couple of weeks just about how we were literally all made and designed for relationships and community. But today we're going to kind of be talking about how it is that our culture today is fully working against community. We're going to talk about how that's happening, but we're also going to talk about why it is, like how did we actually get here and why does everything around us seem to be pushing against us in this area? So it's going to be a deep dive into just really how we got to where we are today. So we're glad that you've joined us and we hope that you enjoy the show. Well, Brooke, great to be with you again today. I know. It's always good. <laughs> Looking forward to diving into this topic again. Um, man, we in our last episode got to just talk um, with a really special guest and someone whose uh, whose work has really, I know, inspired us just in this specific area. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited just to dive a little deeper into some of the things that he shares. I'm sorry, I just referenced that so vaguely. We. Our guest at our last show was Andy Crouch. <laughs> Just so you don't have to be like, what yeah. are they talking about? Who is she about? talking about? It's not a secret. secret. Um, yeah, and he wrote a book that um, has really been... Um, just very eye-opening as we have been researching and thinking through this specific series and this topic. And so I'm really excited to share um, in a little more detail some of the things that he talked about in his book, but just some other things that we've discovered along the way. Because, um, you know, again, as we were researching for this series, I think I started seeing in many different places so many things that made me go, oh my goodness, it makes so much sense why this is so hard. Like, why yeah. is community so hard? Why is it like, why is it so elusive? Why does it seem outside of almost everyone's grasp? And really kind of going into some of this history, into some of this, why our, how our culture works today, it just all started making yeah. sense to me. So it's helpful. It's good. Yeah, it was uh, funny after our conversation with him. Um, I have quite a few friends who, uh, they actually still live in Nashville. And it's, it's interesting because they feel very like they're trying to have community and they're like, am I wrong that I want mm. like this level of connection with people because I am not getting it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I called him up and I was like, Hey, just so you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and I don't know that I think, I mean, it's in his book and definitely obviously told them to read it, but just through the conversation of, of some of the things he talked about was like, yeah, we're, I think meant to live in much closer connection than we do. And so my thoughts are that there are actually a a lot of people that desire it. And I think I've said this a million times, no one teaches you Mm. how to be a good friend, Mm -hmm. really, right? Like, that's not the focus Mm -hmm. of of school, necessarily, that's not the focus of work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, we're seeing now more than ever. Yeah, we definitely don't talk about it. I don't know the last time I 
yeah. did a study or heard a teaching on this idea, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I just think it's, I don't know, it's really cool that we're doing mm-hmm. this. And, and I think mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole pandemic thing really just burned whatever yeah. side of yeah. community we thought we had to the ground. We were so making we're progress. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's figure it out now. So, right. uh, you know, kind of build it from the ground up. So yeah. anyway, yeah. but um, yeah, so, I, you know, I guess just to dive in minus my own personal thoughts on this, um, <laughs> you know, we love statistics or I do personally. Uh, and I, I think, I think you talked about this. Maybe it was in the first one we did. I know we're doing a series, so hopefully this isn't out of order, but, um, the surgeon general, I think it was, he was under, uh, um, Obama and Biden said that during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Mm. And I'll just tell you, that's a really accepted thought among most psychiatrists you know counselors like i don't no one would be like what you know we'd Mm -hmm. all would agree with that Mm -hmm. you know most people don't seek help in fact i think they you know pursue or avoid taking care of themselves and matters of the heart more than like their physical ailments sometimes um and also how much that loneliness affects your physical body uh, quite often see that a lot, a lot of yep. psychosomatic stuff. Yep. Um, and then remind me how to say this guy's name, Ben Sass. Is it Sass? I think so. I think Sass so. Name? Does it matter? <laughs> um, I, I always I'm am sorry, like, I'm ben. from Louisiana. I don't, I don't have to say your name, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he's probably not a mercy talk follower. So no, I feel good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nobody tell him. Um, but he, uh, was a Harvard trained historian, Became a U.S. Senator, and he wrote the book, uh, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Uh, and I actually haven't heard about that in a long no, time. I want to yeah. read this book. Yeah. yeah Why We yeah, Hate Each Other talking, and How to Heal. Uh-huh. And <laughs> yeah. it's funny because when we were talking about this, I was like, oh, I haven't. Yeah. It's been a while. I mean, you know, those books, you're like, oh, I should, that's a good title. <laughs> yeah. I should read that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd be very fascinated to, I need to dive into that. But anyway, he said that the actual root of conflicted polarized politics in the U.S. is loneliness. Hmm. Um, and if you look at, uh, let's see, uh, oh, the U.K., this one was fun. They, uh, the prime minister of the U.K. appointed a cabinet minister for loneliness. In like what in the world? That was 2018 like, before what? the pandemic. Uh huh. But yeah. also, I'm like, who? Who's like, you're the one. You're you the... should be. Uh huh. <laughs> I know. I'd I don't know like, how many people are signing I'm up sad? for that job. I know. Yeah. Cabinet minister for loneliness. I know. We're gonna I'm have so like intrigued. birthday lunches for everybody. Like, how do you? <laughs> I have a lot of questions. I want to know more. All right, we should dive in. Um, yeah. All right. And then uh, let's see. Objective social isolation costs the U.S. Medicare system $6.7 billion annually, which is a lot of money. Uh, And then Cigna fielded a national survey of 10,000 U.S. adults. If you don't know, Cigna is a major insurance company. And they did this in 2019. So before uh, the hell that was 2020. (laughs) And they found out that more than three in five Americans reported being chronically lonely. And that the number is quote unquote on the rise, right? Mm-hmm. And then 2020 hit and it was like, so everyone. Um, and then uh, yeah. Jenny Allen talks in her book, Find Your People, that scientists now warn that loneliness is worse for our health than obesity, 
smoking, lack of access to healthcare and physical inactivity. Not going to lie. I don't know where Jenny Allen got her information on that, but I know you have her back, so I'm going to let that ride. Listen, uh, she put it in her I've book. I've never thought of her as a, you uh, know, she's a, a scientist. A sci- just scientists. Just all those. <laughs> just, uh, I'm just going to lead everything I say. You know, scientists say. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, so I feel like that's a lot of data we might need to dive in, but I will say it definitely. Uh, I do yeah. know for a fact. <laughs> truly yeah um that it's absolutely up there i mean if mm-hmm. you look at just you know we talk about suicide rates right it's just i mean mm-hmm. one of the highest rates of of death and trauma and uh you know so that would take you out more than smoking and anything else if we look at mm-hmm. it just from that perspective mm-hmm. i would say that's probably true so maybe the scientists are right brooke maybe they are we don't know who they are <laughs> but <laughs> we'll just assume well, Jenny Allen I mean, and her scientific community. <laughs> Sir, those are, I don't know. It was just interesting reading those various things from various sources. And, and honestly, too, as we were researching, I was struck by, I don't know, I think we often, or maybe just me, can really lose sight of the fact that we almost, I mean, I know we wouldn't say this, but we kind of just forget it. It's like subconsciously we forget that the rest of the world doesn't live every day like us in the United right. States. Also, uh, we what? forget that generations prior to us do not live like, like, it's like, I don't know, sometimes I forget that. And it was just fascinating to remember that in nearly every single generation since creation, people have lived in small communities and in villages, you know, mm-hmm. hunting together, cooking together, taking care of their kids together, washing their clothes together in the river. Like, I mean, this is how the vast majority of generations have lived. No locks on their doors, maybe no doors at all. You know, like people were very, very rarely alone. And they lived communally. They lived in these small spaces. They were all up in each other's business, right? And it's crazy to consider the fact that a lot of the world still lives this way today. I can't remember where I found this, but I read somewhere that like a full 80% of the world's population still exists in the context of these like small community-based groups. Yeah. So when you actually consider that, like that many in present day live that way. And then you think about all the generations prior, that means that the vast majority of the human beings that have lived on this planet <laughs> have lived within like a small, like huddle of a few people. Most of those people probably being in their family, but also people from outside of their family and it, and lived in this like small little radius for all of their lives. Like that is just crazy to me to think that again, most people don't live the way that we live right now. Um, and, but you know, it's also when you even just look into our history, you know, we're like, not us, like we are going to be the land of the independent. I mean, even just thinking about like, what is the most significant moment in our nation's history? The day that the declaration of independence was signed, right? So it's like independence is not evil in and of itself, but it has become 
the like identity of our nation, right? It's freedom, it's independence, it's individual rights. And listen, I'm not over here saying like, I'm not grateful for that. I'm grateful for it. I love America. I love freedom. But this independent thing can have a very dark side as well. And I think because that's become such a core value of the United States, um, it has bled into everything and has certainly bled into our desire for community, our desire for relationships. Like our, we, we have been, we have kind of been sold that like every man for himself, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You don't need anybody. You are self-sufficient. Like that is such an underlying current in our culture. And so it makes sense that this is hard. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that, yeah. that we are where we are. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think like with anything, right, you can start with something really good and healthy and moving in the right direction and anything at the extreme is most likely not great, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I mean, and and just historically, uh, you know, I think it's just been kind of progressing ever since, you know, we had the industrial revolution in the late 1700s and factories started to automate everything and people's lives started to become easier. Um, people started to choose better jobs over Mm -hmm. communities and the people they loved. They started working in the cities. Efficiency came at a great cost and we didn't really need each other all of the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've said this before too, you know, the word bored did not exist until the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. So until then, you know, people had all of these, (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody was doing something and then it was like, I got time on my hand and then the the wealth became like, now I don't have anything to do. I'm just sitting in my house, you know? Um, And and so it's such a fascinating concept. Just throwing that out there. I do remind my child of that often. (laughs) Um, So, and then of course we had, you know, the enlightenment and the focus on individualism, the Mm -hmm. self-help movement Mm -hmm. uh, of the late 20th century, which Mm -hmm. I could do and whole other thing for another day and then social media in 97 you know and that elevates virtual connection over real life and Mm -hmm. uh so independence has really become like this chief value in the u.s and then the vast majority of us have really fallen that this also means being like self-sufficient and that Mm -hmm. everything we do on our own is somehow going to satisfy us as we're like fishing and like striving for connection Um, yeah yeah, it's not it's it's not really working together. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and I, I mean, I say this too. Like, how many times I've, I've been very transparent? Have I chosen work over family, right, mm-hmm. or the next best thing to seem financially stable? You know, mm-hmm. or, or been tempted by that. And so, you know, when success driven culture begins to shape how we see things, how we were raised, I think depending on how your family grew up, right? My grandparents through the great depression it's like whatever you have to do to be financially stable Mm -hmm. right you know we choose colleges for the reputation we move to cool cities we choose churches for the best preaching and well actually i don't know that we choose churches for the best preaching um maybe for where we think cool people go because i've gone to the big ones it's not great um (laughs) no some of them are though some of them are sorry that was really mean uh anyway we, uh, you know, we hunt for our, our dream home in the right neighborhoods, we, yeah. you know, and then we go through and it's like, okay, you've got the job and you've got the church and you've got the house and you've got the neighborhoods and you've got yeah. all, the, you know, are you mm-hmm. good? Are you mm-hmm. happy? Feeling good? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. And the answer is usually no. 
Yeah. And so when we, you know, reference back to, uh, I still can't believe he agreed to do the podcast with us. Um, Andy Crouch <laughs> in, uh, in the life we're looking for, uh, what he says is, is it coincidence or just kind of grand irony that loneliness has spiked just as our media became quote unquote social, our technology became quote unquote personal and our machines learned to recognize our faces. I, it's funny because yeah. I just think I haven't always made that connection in my head that like some of the greatest enemies to me feeling connected and having community is this independent success driven culture that has literally shaped the way we see the world that's shaped our lives. Like, and I don't guess I ever compare the two like, Oh, the enemy to this is this. I mean, and it's not the only enemy to it, but it's just, very interesting to think through. And that was one of the things I think that was so eye-opening to me about Andy Crouch's book. And I want to dive into a couple of things he talks about on there. And uh, we'll start with technology because you just mentioned that. So he wrote this, he wrote his entire book on, it's, it's, I think this might even be the subtitle. Well, the title of the book is The Life We're Looking For, um, but it's about reclaiming relationship in a technological world. Um, and so... Just to dive a little bit more into that, he talks about this is going to this is just stick with me here because it's going to sound a little weird, maybe. But he talks about how people groups for many generations now have been on this quest for magic. And he goes into the history of it. So, again, just get the book because it's fascinating. But that history of this like quest for magic is is very much woven into the story of like Western societies. So that's, you know, us. And he talks about how in modern day, we don't call it magic anymore. We call it technology. Because if you think about like all of our technological devices basically promise to work without mm -hmm. asking very much of us, which is kind of the essence of magic. Like, I will do things and you just sit back and watch it happen, right? And if you actually, again, he goes into the history of it. And if you look at the history of this idea of magic, you see that the ultimate quest of magic is to displace God. It is to enslave nature. And it's to create things that actually serve the magician. So like those are the common threads in every quest for magic. Displace God, enslave nature, and create things that serve me like as the magician, if you will. But mm -hmm. something that you also see when you look at the history of this quest for magic is that it consistently fails to deliver on its promises. Like it never, it, it always fails. And so you would hope that like, if you think today, like, oh, we're so advanced in our technology, right? Like you would hope that this like sufficiently advanced technology of our day would look really, really different from magic. And you would hope that our technology, because it has always failed to do this, like you would hope that now we're so advanced, like it would actually connect us more deeply to people. It would connect us more fully to nature, to God. But when you look at modern technology, like it doesn't really look like we're headed that way. Like That's not really the direction we're going here. As much as it tries to make you feel connected. It's like the quote you just said, like loneliness has spiked when our media became social, our technology became personal. And we have these 
gadgets that can recognize our faces and we feel lonelier than ever. So like technology is not helping us stay connected. And that's kind of what he talks about uh, in the book. So, and I'm going to read one quote that he says in there. He says, um, he, he proposes that technology has actually made this world poorly designed for human beings now. And I feel like he, we even talked about that a little bit with him on the show, but he said, um, this is a quote from his book. He said, the soul is the plane of human existence that our technological age neglects most of all. Mm-hmm. And Jesus asked whether it was worth gaining the whole world at the cost of losing one's soul. But in the era of technology, we have not only lost a great deal of our souls, we have lost much of the world as well. We are rarely overwhelmed by wind or rain or snow. We rarely see, let alone name, the stars. We have lost our souls without even gaining the world. So it is no wonder that the defining condition of our time is a sense of loneliness and alienation. So basically it's this idea that technology is actually causing us to lose more and more of our personhood. Um, And again, this isn't to say, like he's not proposing that we all throw all of our gadgets out the door and like go back to living in the you know middle ages he's just saying that there, there needs to be an awareness that all of these like as we continue to grow and have more technological things at our fingertips to be very aware of how it is working against connection and community just to be aware that it is it is it is one of the forces fighting against it and so which also yeah. brings me and i'm going to let you take it from here because the ultimate source, and this is again what he talks about, the ultimate source of impersonal power in our world, and it's also the driving motive behind technology, is money. Which again, mm-hmm. I remember when I opened his book, I was like, this is a book on relationships and there's a whole chapter on money. I'm very mm-hmm. intrigued. Like, where's he going with this? So, it's a very motivating factor for a lot of things. Yeah. You know, and before we dive into that, I will say, I wonder, we didn't add this, but I wonder of how much, um, like, uh, cults and like what that has meant to culture too, has, um, really messed up this idea of like communal living. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking about like how many times, you know, that you're like, can we just buy some land and everybody, all our favorite people, like a lot of land. Like I don't need to like, (laughs) you know, but we can all live on a compound. Everybody's like, Um, oh, it's a cult, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, David Grish, you know, we don't have to do everything. 100%. I mean, you know, but I'm just saying it's like this idea, like that that's weird when, as you said, 80%. Yes. You know, of the world. And I don't think the point is not to go be with your people and isolate. The point sure. is to be with your people to be healthy and then go on. So anyway, right. if I buy a compound and live with a bunch of people. That's what, listen, this, far series, away from me. this series ends and we are going to all live on a compound. <laughs> That's right. Look, but again, I need to be able to get, get in a golf cart to get to your house, right? Like we're not sure. talking about, you know. Um, 20 steps away. And, yeah. Yeah, like, don't worry. It's not that weird. So I'm just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, there isn't a force in the Western world more powerful than money. Um, right. And, uh, you know, the more we enter the money economy, the less personal our world becomes. You know, money allows us to get things done without having to depend on anyone. And if yeah. you look at You know, there's a lot of studies on like the affluent and just the relationships that are taken away just in that process. I don't have to try. I don't have to like 
depend on a relationship of give and take, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, I need to get to this place. How do I negotiate that? How do I, it's like things just happen, yep. you know, and just gonna um, throw some money out there and it all comes together. Yeah. And I work, yeah. I work with a lot of, a lot of people who come from, you know, just stupid money, stupid money. And they've got good families. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. like their families weren't good. It's not that, but just the, the aspect of, of not having to struggle. And I don't mean like fear for your next meal, but yeah. just navigate a world, you know, when you don't know anyone that has more money than you, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a different mm-hmm. world. And I think mm-hmm. we can all be like, Oh, I think that'd be great. It's not, it's yeah. not great. And there's, yeah. it comes with a whole other, you know, set of issues. You know, now my joke is like, I mean, sure. I'd figure it out. I'd get a counselor and I'd be fine. <laughs> but oh, Lord, you can trust you know, me. Right. But it is. But so when Andy Krause talks about it, he's like money has, has not helped us to be persons, which in the podcast, by the way, he, he talks about this distinction he makes between yeah. persons and people. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, uh, money has not helped us to be persons. It is designed for a world where we do not need love or even relationship to get what we want. Yeah. Um, and Brene Brown shares a story about a group of women in a remote village in Africa. Why are they always... Remote villages remote in Africa. Villages anyway, in Africa. they yeah, all, they all sci- are remote scientists, villages. scientists in remote villages. Scientists uh, do I'm exist, smart. and remote villages uh-huh. in Africa do exist. And uh-huh. There's a lot of them. <laughs> they do. So we're gonna yeah. keep going with it. We won't. Uh, I won't do a Brene Brown podcast to you. Okay. So uh, spend, <laughs> anyway, but they're so she's sharing the story of a group of women in Africa in a remote village in Africa. Let's be specific. Um, uh, they spent their late afternoons at the river washing their family's clothes. They would talk and laugh and cry with one another. And then sometime later, the village experienced a big shift in its resourcefulness after the residents learned to plant and harvest crops. And we definitely didn't add an agrarian society to that list of history. Um, yeah. But they could sell fruits and vegetables in a larger town nearby. And with their new income, they could afford a lot of new things, including electricity and washing machines. Uh Interestingly, all right, once nearly every home in the village had its own washing machine, the prevalence of depression among the moms in the region region rose sharply. The money had given them convenience, but that came at the cost of relationships and community. Um, uh, I'm like, I guess my first thought is like, I can't get Best Buy to deliver my refrigerator. So I don't know how we get the washing machine machines delivered in the middle of remote <laughs> village. You went with it. Great. Okay. I guess I just, uh-huh. that was my, uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm having, we're having appliance issues. Like if you don't spend time together, if you're not connecting and, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, I, the sacrifice of fellowship, like that's in the Bible, you know, like it takes, to, you mm-hmm. know, it's not fun to go wash your clothes with a bunch of people, but when you're with people you love and care about, like that's where you do life together is mm-hmm. through, <clears throat> through activity. And it's not always a fun one or through like a shared need to get something done for the bigger picture for the larger community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I see that with like a group of counselors, like you can have a group of counselors that are really close because you walk through kind of these really hard things together and you're able to sit down and have a meeting, kind of just like connect and laugh and like just re-energize because you're sitting across from people who, you know, are carrying kind of the yeah. same weight that you are. And mm-hmm. and so if you if you don't have that, if you're doing that alone, you know, it just gets really sad, yeah. honestly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I mean, and it's like such a I, I remember in that 
portion of the book where he talked about money, he like shared a story of like when he and his wife were really young and they were moving and they had no money to like hire mm-hmm. movers. And so they had to get all of these people to come over. And they said it was the right. most like special day. We connected with all these people that we love. It was like just a big moment in their relationships with those people. And then fast forward like 20 years. And I don't know if it was 20, but fast forward quite a few years and they have money. And so they're like, we don't need to call all of our friends over to help. We can just pay movers to come mm-hmm. over. And so it was like, there was just an exchange of money. Yep. I might be making this part up, but it was like, we didn't learn the names of the people who came into our house to move our stuff because we didn't need to. It was just like, give them the money. They get the job done and the job right. got done, but at the cost of relationship building. Again, this is not to like, you know, condemn you for hiring movers, but it's just like, that's an example of how we didn't have money. And so we depended on friends and it was this rich relationship building experience. And then we did have money and we didn't need to depend on people and friends so it was just a transaction that happened with people that we never saw again or thought about again, you know? And so it's like, there's just, there's story after story of examples of how money is working against it. And I think just our world of convenience, we just live in a world of convenience. So we're in this super hurried culture. And so we've got like, you know, convenience stores. We've got like self-serving lines at the grocery store. We have, I mean, you don't even need to go to the grocery store. You got grocery delivery services, right? It's like, how quick and convenient can we make life so our life is just full of convenience and transaction, mm-hmm. which is great because it's very efficient, but it's also very lonely. And I think one other thing that I noticed as we were reading was just thinking about our like architecture. Like if you look at a lot of America's built environment, especially like in our residential settings, it is mm-hmm. very, very, very poorly designed for community. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I think, again, Andy may have talked about this when we were, it's either in his book or he talked about it on the show, but like even how zoning like codes in a lot of towns will not allow like non-related people to live in the same, like under the same roof. Um, and so like everything is pushing against that idea. And you know, even when you leave your home, it's like we we have these like high speed roads. We don't have streets where people are like interacting with each other as much, you know, like stores and restaurants and everything. They're not on like person scale streets. They're like on these big, wide car scale roads with massive parking lots in between. Like nothing about even the physical architecture of our day is promoting yeah. community and people being together in the same space. So it's like yeah, yet another thing. No, that's really good. I've never, I mean, even remotely thought of that either. Um, And, you know, of course, because that's how do we get the most people in and out. That's right. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Yep. For the the dollar, you know. Yeah. And and another factor, too, is is, uh, we've alluded to this, right? But obviously the concept of family has changed over Mm -hmm. the years, right? You know, it used to be. Um, family included, you know, your parents, your grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbors, co I mean, everybody kind of just felt like family. Yeah. And I've seen this change even just since I was a kid, like the vacations. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, of course, you know, my husband makes fun of me, but I'm like in Louisiana, we thought we were related to everyone. Like everyone was <laughs> like, oh, that's uncle such and such. <laughs> you're not, you're not related. It was very confusing. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wait a second. You're not his brother. Uh, yeah. you, know, <laughs> like, you know, my mom's sister. Like, I don't understand. 
Um, you know, but that was, that was just kind of this community, this family. And yeah, I mean, everybody lived in the same house. I mean, but, I mean, mm-hmm. I would say like really just one generation mm-hmm. beyond our parents, mm-hmm. you know, everybody lived and you took care of them. And, yep. you know, I remember when my great grandfather was sick. Like, you know, he lived with, you lived with family until like right. when my parents built their house. They built it from, you know, um, the assumption that my grandparents would move in. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's just kind of this, this idea. Um, and, you know, then in the twenties, the term nuclear family happened, which was fun fact, marketing ploy. Uh, and what that described was two parents and two and a half children. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where the half came from, uh, but <laughs> you know, I guess that's never ending joke, but, uh, numbers, numbers. and this concept's pretty great for marketing because the fewer things you share, the more that you have to buy. So right. everyone needed their own whatever kitchen appliance or their own, you know, couch and TV. And then all of a sudden there were multiple TVs, right? Cause we couldn't all sit in the same room and watch mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. same thing. We had to watch different things. Yep. Um, you know, and, uh, and then somehow we led to a world where children get the remotes. I will tell you that that's been one of my biggest things. It was like in my house, you, if your dad was home, you just handed it over. Oh, yeah. This is, this is <laughs> not was, a conversation. Right. Yeah, there was no. And so, you know, for Liam, he's like, can I? No, give me that. <laughs> and now you have you your own TV. Go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Well, even then. Yeah. I'm like, no, we're not watching, you know, whatever he yeah. watches now. Transformers again. Um, and so, you know, we put our, our, uh, tucked ourselves away in our homes with our nuclear families or maybe our roommates or maybe alone. And then we, uh, Amazon <laughs> everything we possibly can yep. to us and we cut ourselves off and, you know, we feel comfortable and we feel safe and self-sufficient, but we also feel lonely and I a hundred percent can identify with that. Like, I'll tell you, even if Scott and Liam are gone or something like that, like if I see something like, Oh, I, like I'll scroll Amazon for new things to buy mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. for, I'll be like, Oh, I'm not going to oh, spend absolutely. more than $10. What can I find? <laughs> you know, like it's some exciting <laughs> thing instead of just yeah. talking on the phone to somebody or yeah. you know, talking with my neighbors or whatever it is. Like I don't have to put any energy into that yeah. whatsoever. And I think I actually bought us something. What last week we were talking about it. Already bought it by the time we were done. <laughs> That's right. You did. You're like I got so, it. Like, we're covered. It came in the mail. <laughs> so excited, you know. Uh, and then you know, and so I'll forget yeah. about it a week later. But yeah. anyway, yeah. I mean, for a it, but it mm-hmm. is pretty fascinating. I never, I, I never again, like, never thought of that either about the, the fact that you know, if you've ever watched Mad Men, I think you'll kind of realize how the marketing happened, and you know. Mm. Uh, overall, of course, that was in the 60s, but it's, it's a pretty brilliant move to redefine the family yeah. so that people then go, oh, because that's what we do. We listen to culture. We listen to media. We listen, especially when I think communities were more trusting, mm-hmm. right? We were more mm-hmm. apt to be overtly told how we were supposed to be and what we were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it feels a little more I think probably we would say overt, but it's in some ways a lot more subversive than we realize, or we just yeah. don't quite understand how we're being influenced. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, I think you even bring up a good point of just the trust factor in communities. Like this feels like a no brainer, right? But the more aware that we are of everything that's happening in every city, in every state, in every country, every day, the more uh-huh. and more fearful we live 
And I'm, and I'm not advocating that you just completely like close your ears and your eyes to anything that's happening around the world. But I will say like, even for myself, I realized like I was one of those that had the Today Show on every morning. And listen, I love my Today Show people, okay? I think they're delightful. Yeah. Yeah. I love starting my morning with them. Uh-huh. But I realized I have, a, I have two little kids and I am now aware of every single thing that's happening around the world and the fear factor and the worry factor was just increasing and increasing and increasing. And I was like, I just wonder what would happen if I stopped watching this in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's been like Mm -hmm. a month and I'm like, I do feel a little less aware, but I also am feeling a little less fearful. And so it's like, again, media news. Okay, sure. Fine. But what has that done to our sense of trusting others and feeling safe in our communities and and look I'm not I'm not saying that horrible things are happening I know that's true but our our hyper awareness of everything that's happening everywhere um, has probably really affected that um, so I you know I'm always a big fan of just hey assess just assess <laughs> how is your intake of media um, helping you or hurting you in some of these most important areas of your life Um that's right. So, I mean, uh, with all of that being said, yay! Everyone's sad. Nothing is, everything is working against us. Good luck, no. everyone. Uh, no, no. Just <laughs> remember, we're smarter. We're smarter than, than we man, acted. I will you say, know? like, truly, that is what was probably the most eye-opening to me. The whole point of this episode was not to just, like, depress everyone and be like, it's totally hopeless. Our culture is so jacked up. We're never going to get anywhere here. I think it's just to bring awareness. It's for me, it has helped me see how we got here. It has reminded me that the vast majority of people who have lived on this planet did not live and, and still do not live many like we do. It's given me that bigger perspective, but it has also reminded me that it is going like, we're in a little bit of a fight here for this idea of community and connection and relationship. Like it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of intention and it's going to take a lot of work if we want to actually live in a different way than the way most people are living. It's just going to, and it's not for everyone. Like I, what I hope in this series is that we would potentially open some eyes of like, oh, wait, I actually really do want this. Like I have kind of pushed it aside or I've tried to squash this desire or I just haven't known what to do with it. And I am created for this. I want this. My culture yeah. is working against it. So I'm going to have to work hard if I want it. Um, and and so, you know, one of the things that I loved about Andy Crouch's book was that he he really tied it up. The last part of his book was like, we can live a different way. Like, it's not mm-hmm. going to be easy. And and this whole idea of like our fractured communities, our, you know, our broken families, all these things, like, it's not going to just be a quick, easy choice that we can just like unmake or remake, right? Like, all right. But he did give and he and he painted that picture of like how many, many, many years ago there was this group of people who just decided like we are citizens of another kingdom. And so even if everyone around us is being served and ruled by these forces like money and technology and individuality, like there were these early disciples that show us like that it is actually possible to serve a better master and to set even in motion something that could transform a culture. I mean, they showed yeah. us that that's possible. 
And so I think we're going to have to be really patient and realize that this whole idea of transformation would be very, very slow moving. Um, and I loved even in the book, he talked about Jesus described that mustard seed, right? Like it's something small, it may seem insignificant, but it is capable of growing into something big. And so mm -hmm. when I think about future generations, when I think about my kids, I'm like, I want to do everything I can to plant have as many seeds as possible to transform for them. Um, and so that is truly what the rest of the series is going to be about. Today was a big history lesson, lots of facts and figures, <laughs> lots of stories, um, but it was really to set the stage for where we're going with the rest of this series, because it's going to be about how do we do this? How do we reshape some of the way that we are functioning in this world? Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Brooke, any final Me thoughts? Too. Yeah, I think, you know, just thinking about the whole episode and my conversation with my friends, like I mentioned, is like, I think starting with let's not believe the lie that there's something wrong with us that we desire actual connection and we're unsatisfied and i think you know you can get caught up in like why am i unsatisfied i have everything well i think yeah. if you evaluate your relationships you probably don't and yeah. that's okay and then how do we respond to what the world is trying to do in a way that's that is like well hang on a second i don't have to accept that right i don't mm -hmm. have to feel weird that i want real connection and i don't you know want a bunch of not genuine relationships that's yeah. okay and it can feel lonely at first because it is it's it's hard to you know to to find your people and figure mm -hmm. that out and you know it, it is changing it's a new discipline right it's changing how we think about things and do things but i but i do believe that there's something in all of us if the lord's putting it on our hearts then he's putting it on a lot of people's hearts and mm -hmm. our job is to listen and to find other people that are like-minded yeah. and respond accordingly and then I remind, you know, often I remind people and sometimes myself, like we're the healthy ones, right? Like I'm, I'm a healthy person. I can make new decisions and different decisions that are better for my life and for my son's life and for our family. And I can't have somebody who's obsessed with Instagram or whatever mm -hmm. dictating how I feel about things. And so are mm -hmm. we pausing and thinking, hang on, no, like this is this is good that we're uncomfortable with this and what can we do about it? Yeah. You know, in, in that, and I'll even tell you, you talked about like the news, I've, you know, you know, I've been off social media for over six years now and I don't know when things happen, but I was finally able, I literally prayed for a new source that was just, I just need the facts. Mm -hmm. And I finally found one just so you know. So I will share this with the world because it's been, you know, and the world are the four people that listen to this and it's um, <laughs> the 1440 daily digest and it literally just tells you this is what facts. happened mm -hmm. it just sends an email here's what happened it's free you can subscribe if you want to support them or not and so you know some of the stories i go i don't really want to know about that today mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. of the stories i'm like okay cool that's what's happening you know yeah. and it's and it's been very fascinating to read that story and then go search for it like on Google and the drama associated mm -hmm. and so it's it's allowed me to feel very connected to global events and things mm -hmm. that, that we need to be aware of, mm -hmm. but also not putting me into the fear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. So anyway, all that to say like, but I've also, I've been praying for that for years and mm -hmm. it just so happened. I found it, you know? Um, so all that to mm -hmm. say, I just mm -hmm. think, I don't know. I'm excited for what yeah. we're doing and diving into. And I don't know, maybe we'll, yeah. we'll make some new friends along the way or, 
I'll live on a compound somewhere. I don't know. We'll see <laughs> what in. happens. I'm in. Count me in. I, uh, somebody's you know, got to help babysit the kids, you know? So. <laughs> I am more in I mean, now than I've ever been for this right. idea. Like, go to Auntie somebody... Brooke's house. No, we're not related. <laughs> Just go over there. Uh, I'll be like, who, I mean, who wants candy? Truly, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, again, I just think it's what it's not indicative of the fact that we actually do all need to live on a compound, but it sure is indicative of of the fact that we just were wired for deep connection. The fact that that sounds yeah. so appealing to me, you know, I'm right. sure there are people who are like, no, uh, but but I think I, when I talk, when I even joke about that, like can we just all go, you know, there are lots uh-huh. of people who are like, oh, really does just kind of sound amazing and there's probably other reasons for that that anyway we'll get into a lot in the coming episodes but I would just say even as a practical uh, we love some practical takeaways and I was just thinking about the things we've talked about today yeah I'm like maybe go back into these different areas we talked about technology we talked about money we talked about media intake we talked about a variety of things like and just maybe consider is this how is technology working against my feeling connected how is money working against and just just even can like pray like, Lord, are there just some small shifts that I can make in my life that would reduce the impact of this force on my life? Um, and I mean, honestly, ever since I've read ever since I've read this book, I'm like, hey, every once in a while, I'm not going to use Instacart. I'm going to walk in a store and I'm going to look at people in the face. Right. Like okay, just some small that's... Things. Yeah, don't don't be ridiculous. You know, well, that's a lot. Stop. <laughs> I'm oh just kidding. Gosh. I don't grocery I, shop, so Scott does. <laughs> so. Whatever, and I'm maybe like yeah. I don't know. I just think like there are some small things, and maybe before I just dump money on this issue to try to solve it really quickly and easily without any effort, I could consider, would someone want to help me with this? Would someone, would, would, could I invite someone into the, like just things to think about and realizing like these things are working against me. How could I um, just kind of rethink my relationship with these things so that connection is more possible in my life. So just a few things to consider. Oh, man, we hope that you have, um, I don't know if enjoyed this conversation is going to be the right word to use, but maybe have um, been maybe enlightened a little bit by this conversation. Stick with us, y'all. I'm intrigued. Intrigued. Interested you. Uh, Maybe, hopefully, it will make you go, I want to keep listening to this series because I am very, very, very excited about things that we're going to be diving into in the coming weeks to, again, really talk about how can we live a different way? How can this look different for us? Um, and so as always, guys, if the uh, these podcasts have been helpful for you or you've enjoyed them, we would just be so grateful if you'd help us out by rating the show, writing a review, wherever it is that you listen. Y'all, it helps so much to just get this podcast into other people's hands or in front of their faces or into their ears, I guess would be the correct thing to say there. But um, if you have any thoughts or questions about anything that we've discussed today um always we'd love to hear just what you what you have to say or share your ideas for future topics um you can email us at mercy talk at mercy and just to find out more about mercy you can head over to mercy and uh, find us on instagram facebook and twitter if anyone still uses that at mercy multiplied so thank you guys so much for joining us and hope to see you next time